Well, good morning, Elkdale family. It's great to see you. It's good to be back. I've never seen Corey say that many nice things about me. That's very kind of him. I always say to Corey that when it comes to brains and intellect, intelligence, the ability to articulate, the anointing to preach, he's taller. He is, he is taller. Take your Bible and turn with me to Psalm 67. For those of you joining us online, I welcome you as well. I've been telling our church family, uh, we're two churches right now, uh, really one church in two places. We're one church in two places. We meet in two places. We meet live and we meet online. And just like you, we've been navigating one of the most interesting year and a half of our lives. None of us could have been prepared for it. I'm not here today to preach on politics or COVID or anything like that. In fact, I love the thing that Corey has chosen, the idea of refocusing our lives. I know that he has worked through Psalm 65 and Psalm 65. And this morning, I want to draw your attention to Psalm 67. But before I do, just a personal word of praise toward you. I know that you expect your pastor uh, to be uh, a source of affirmation and encouragement. I always tell my people I'm the biggest optimist at Church at the Mill. And if I'm not excited about serving my church, then I don't deserve to serve my church. Corey and I are very dear friends. And because of that, we are not only brothers, we're confidants, and we talk a great deal. And we just happen to have the same calling in our life. Had Corey or I won not been called to full-time ministry, we would still be close. We would still be together. I'm sure we would still talk. But there is a unity in our spirit in relationship to the fact that God's called us both to preach and to pastor. And so there is no issue at Elkdale that I don't hear about. Because he calls me and asks me my wisdom and encouragement. And there are very few issues at Church of the Mill he doesn't hear about. We talk to one another. And I want you to know that in serving you for over a decade now, there has never been a phone call where Corey has called me and felt unloved or felt a lack of encouragement or affirmation. In fact, he has felt loved and encouraged since day one. Now, I wouldn't tell you if the opposite were true, but I wouldn't say he had felt loved and encouraged if that were not true. I want you to know that that means a lot to me because in addition to being your pastor, he is my little brother. And I do want to look out for him. And I'm grateful that he and Wendy feel so much love and so much encouragement. You have met every need in their life. You have been a source of encouragement to him. And that should be praised because you are a loving people. And when we think about our love and our life and our encouragement, I love the theme refocus. We have a lot to focus on right now. There are a lot of things that have garnered our attention and so Corey asked me to continue this series and to preach Psalm 67. So I want to read this psalm to you in its entirety. I would like for you to read along silently with me as I read out loud Psalm 67. And as I read it, I want to preach to you a message called the praise of a refocused life. Psalm 67, to the choir master with string instruments, a psalm of David. Verse 1, may God be gracious to us and bless us. And make his face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Verse 6, the earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. I've learned a new term 
several new terms over the last year and a half. Social distancing is a term I didn't know anything about. And then there's another one called virtual learning. Can that really happen? We've been trying that. Lord and I have six children, six children from the age of 17 all the way down to two and a half years old, six. We're tired and we're broke, six children. In fact, my oldest boy, he's with me this week. He'd been hunting a little bit. He and his friend will be in the 11 o'clock service. And he's a good-looking young man. He doesn't give us any issue. But we've been learning virtually some of the days of the week. I wake up every Monday and ask my wife, what is the schedule this week? Who goes to school where and when? And do I have to go to work? I've been looking for virtual work. I hadn't found that yet. And so one of the things that I can tell when I come home from being at the office most of the day is that our two little ones who are in preschool at our church, that they're always happy and running around. Our two middle ones are homeschooled and our two oldest boys go to a public school about five miles down the road, a great school. And so we, we have the private school thing, the homeschool thing and the public school thing all in one house. And, and we're trying to na navigate that. And I can tell when I walk in by looking at my wife's face whether or not everybody was focused today. In fact, sometimes she'll say, there's a certain individual in our home that carries your last name and has acted like you today. You need to refocus them. They have not been focused. And I begin to think about the amount of focus I displayed in high school. It would not impress anyone. And when we think about focusing our lives spiritually, then we ask the question, what do we focus on? Well, of course, the theme is to focus on the Lord. This really came home to me a few days ago. See, I called one of my church members. His name is Chris. Had you attended church at the mill this morning or watch it online, you would have noticed Chris. He's on our lead electric guitar. Several years ago, Chris was our chairman of deacons, and they played a joke on me. Right when I got there, I got up to preach, and he went into Sweet Home, Alabama on the guitar. I knew then we would never have a worship war at Church at the Mill when the chairman of deacons is railing on Sweet Home Alabama on the electric guitar. But, but Chris and I have been friends for many, many years now, and Chris loves the Lord. And something amazing happened to Chris, amazingly terrible. In 12 days, he lost his mom and his dad to COVID last week. Last week, his mother went home to be with Jesus. 12 days prior to that, his father went home to be with Jesus. Let me just say this. I don't know who I'm speaking to, but let me just give you this word. If you think you've had a difficult week, if you're dealing with something going on in your life, with your job or your family, I doubt there's a person here who's lost both parents in the last 12 days. Now, I don't say that to belittle your struggles or your issues. I'm not in any way trying to tear away at the significance of the suffering you may be going through. But I just want to remind you, no matter how dark things may be right now, they're not as dark as someone else's day. You know what Chris said to me when I called him? After his mother died, I couldn't go to the hospital and be with his parents. He couldn't go to the hospital and be with his parents. He said, you know what I can't wait for, Pastor? What? I, I can't imagine. He said, Sunday. He said, you know, I wasn't there last week. I said, well, obviously. He said, I can't wait to get back home, get back to my church home and worship. I said, Chris, I just want you to know that blesses my heart, man. He said, look, he said, I'm hurting. But my mom and dad are whole, they're healed, they're not suffering, and I want to praise the Lord for his goodness in my life. How opposite is that for most of the whining and the complaining that fills some of our lives? 
And it just reminded me that when your life is refocused, there is a tone of praise no matter what you're going through. Psalm 67 is just seven verses. It's a short psalm. I don't think Corey had a lot of confidence in me. He didn't give me Psalm 119. Gave me the shortest psalm for the shortest preacher in our family. And yet, when I begin to unpack this passage and study, and I did study this passage, when I begin to unpack it, I've never preached it before, something occurred to me. Verse 3 and verse 5 are identical. In fact, if you look in Psalm 67, verse 3, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Look at verse 5. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. In the original language, this was written in the biblical Hebrew. It's exactly the same. Exactly, to the letter, this is the same word. And the fascinating thing, like most psalms that have choruses, this is the psalm chorus that the psalmist wanted us to sing and read over again. No matter what you're going through, there should be such a focus on the greatness of God that you have to praise him in the darkest times. And I thought about Chris this morning. Just a few moments ago, I pulled up our service because we're an hour ahead of you, and there he was, praising the Lord with his guitar in his hand, having lost both of his parents. And this is the praise of a refocused life. So I, I just want to ask you a question. I'll ask you this morning, whether you're watching online or here with us live, is the tone of your life such that no matter what the world may be dealing with, there is a note of praise because the greatness of your God has not changed. I have good news for you. God's on his throne. There is nothing in your life that has surprised him, and there is no future that he's not aware of and that he has not sovereignly determined according to his control. And what do you learn when you get around people like my friend Chris and like some of you who seem to always have that optimistic faith? What do you learn by studying a life of praise that's refocused? Well, let me show you four truths in this passage very quickly. First, the prayer of a refocused life. People who are worshiping still have needs. Worshiping the Lord doesn't mean you don't have needs and you don't need God to move in your life. Look how the psalmist begins in verse 1. May God be gracious to us and bless us. And then there's this wonderful saying that comes from the book of Numbers. And make his face shine upon us. Of course, this is a quotation of the priestly prayer of blessing in Numbers uh, chapter 6, verse 24. The Lord bless us and keep us, and the Lord make his face shine upon us, you, and be gracious to you. So there's, there's this idea that the appearance of God either meant good or bad, depending on the condition of your heart. To see the Lord is to instantly recognize his holiness. Well, when you recognize his holiness, you recognize our unholiness. On my very best day, I still struggle with sin. There's not a person in this room that hasn't sinned this week. There's not a person in this room that hadn't made a mistake. There's not a person in this room that hadn't struggled. And in that moment, one of the things that happens when you deal with sin is that you want to draw close to God to be forgiven. But as you draw close to the Lord, you then recognize the weight of your sin because he's so holy holy and so pure. And it is at, at that moment that we're thankful for the gospel. We're, we're not for his grace or his forgiveness. I would stand judged. But when you know the grace of the Lord, coming into the presence of God not only reminds you of the depth of your sin, it reminds you of something greater than the depth of your sin, which is the depth of his love. You see, there's nothing that you've done or said or been a part of that he can't totally and completely forgive. And then that changes how you see his face. You, you, you know, mamas, 
you have two or three different faces, don't you? You know? When my little boys or my little girls skin their knee, they don't want me. They don't want me. I always say I'm the fun, firm parent. I do the fun and the firm. She's the consistent nurturer. Okay, when we were talking about COVID in our lives a few months ago, when we all learned of this terrible virus, and, and I heard of families where the husband or the wife would be exposed and they would go and quarantine themselves in the bonus room. Can I just tell you that if it goes down at the Horton place, we're all licking one another's armpits. We're going to go through it together. <laughs> because let me just tell you something. If I'm gone, our family doesn't miss a beat. If she goes down, DSS is going to show up. I can't do it. I need that nurturer. And there's that face she makes when our little boys or our little girl is hurting. But then there's that other face she makes when they misbehave. You know that face too, right? And, and you know that look. You know, you can shoot a look, right? Can you not shoot a look? Corey and I can tell you our mother could shoot a look in church. She was the pastor's wife. She would cut you in half on the back row if you were misbehaving. I don't know if he's ever told you the story. She took him out one time to whip him, put him on the porch, and went to the cemetery to cut a switch back when we believed in cutting switches, you know? And while she was on the porch, on her way back in, Corey let himself down into the worship center. Now, he may lie and tell you that was me. It was not me. It was him. He walked down to the front row, got on his knees, leaned down and looked. And she's on the back porch with a switch in her hand. And he's waving while my daddy's preaching. I watched my mother invite a demon to possess her. She reached down that aisle. I promise you her arm was 73 foot long, grabbed him by the throat. And I remember saying, Jesus, please keep him alive when she gets through with him. There's that look. Now notice what the psalmist says. He's saying, God, I want your grace in my life so much that I want to see your face. I want your face to shine upon me. You know, I often tell people, this is God's Facebook. This is his Facebook account. You know, you can learn so much from someone's social media account, sometimes good, sometimes bad. But if you want to know the face of God, open his Facebook. And when he shows you his glory, you then recognize your dependence. Did you know it's not selfish for you to ask God to bless you? It's not selfish for you to ask God for his grace. In fact, when a man in this room, when a man watching online, with a teenage boy, when a teenage girl, when a senior adult, when you bow your head every day and say, Lord, would you be gracious to me? Do you know what you're admitting? Number one, you're admitting humility. You need his grace. Two, you're admitting dependence. You need his dependence in your life. You need to depend on him. So this is the prayer of a refocused life. One more thing about a refocused life. My bucket leaks. In other words, yesterday's prayer is not good anymore. I can't live on yesterday's bread. I know for me, there's a direct relationship between the level of encouragement in my heart and my time with the Lord. I tell men all the time at men's conferences and men's events, when my quiet times are up, my sin is down. When my quiet times go down, my sin goes up. I asked Corey to preach this morning at Church at the Mill on spiritual growth. And I've often told my church family that the greatest thing you could ever do for your pastor is not to write a large check to the building fund, not to give him a nice bonus. The greatest thing you could ever do for your pastor is not just to be here every week. The greatest thing you could ever do for your pastor is not just to sign up for nine different committees or serve in six different places on the preschool hall. Those are all wonderful. But the greatest thing you could do for any pastor is also the greatest thing you can do for your Savior, and it is the greatest call of Christianity. Be with Jesus every day. 
Be with Jesus every day. Be the person who lives out, verse 1, I'll read it again. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. I need that. That's the prayer of a refocused life. But then secondly, look at the purpose of a refocused life. Look at verse 2. That, you could also use the English word because, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Wait a minute. You mean there's a greater purpose to God's blessing than just you being blessed? Absolutely. Do you know the main purpose of the blessings of God in our life? To make him known. When God blesses us, his glory is shown in our life. And then it shows the world his existence. Now, now think about that. I have, I don't know you, I'm not your shepherd. I have in my church people who are consumed with the political changes in our nation. It's all they dwell upon. I have others who have been consumed with the condition of their own health and the precautions they must take to the point that they have isolated themselves beyond what anyone has even recommended. I have others who are consumed with saving America from what they think America is about to become. Still others who are consumed with their own life and their own treasures. Now, you may say the pastor's about to tell me I'm not supposed to be consumed. Actually, that's not true. I just want you and I to be consumed with the reason you're alive today. Why are you alive today? You may say, Pastor, I'm a seventh grader. How do you know why I'm alive today? Today's Sanctity of Life Sunday. Isn't it a day where we're thankful for every life? What is the purpose of every single life? Every one of you has an individual personality, individual strengths and weaknesses. You have things in your life that God's going to call you to do. You have things in your life you're going to have to overcome. You have physical, emotional, and spiritual hardships that you're going to face. And no one should belittle the individual journey you're on. But by the testimony of the Word of God, you know what verse 2 reminds us of? The reason the redeemed exist is so that others can be redeemed. The reason that we are left on earth after we come to know Christ. It's not so we'll worship here. We're going to worship better in heaven. It's not so we'll be holy here. We'll be holier in heaven. The reason we're left is to make his glory known to others. Now, you may say, I get you, pastor. You're right. And I'll give praise to anybody who will listen to me, to God for what he's done in my life. But what about the difficult things he walks you through? In my quiet times, I'm reading through the New Testament, and I've gotten to the book of Philippians, a great book. And so I just read a portion every day, and I journal, and I use a group of men in my life. We hold each other accountable to have our quiet times. And every single day after I have my quiet time, I take a picture of my journal entry. I send it to my oldest sons. I'm teaching them to have their quiet times. I send it to a group of guys I'm accountable to. That's good accountability for me. And if I miss one or if something happens and my schedule gets messed up, then I go back and I make sure I read that word. And I'm in Philippians chapter 1, not to study to preach. I'm not writing anything on Philippians. I'm just reading it for my own spiritual nourishment. And I was so taken back, even though I've preached through this book many times, I'm so taken back by Paul's view of his own imprisonment. I recognize that it feels like to some degree we all have our rights being threatened. I can't go here. This restaurant's closed. I can't go here. My kids can't do this. This was canceled and that was canceled. And I get that. But none of us have been locked up in a Roman prison cell. 
None of us have been. And here's Paul in a Roman prison cell locked up. And by the way, do you know the only thing Paul ever wanted to do once he got saved? He wanted to travel and spread the gospel and plant churches. Can you imagine how difficult it is to be called to be the greatest apostle of the New Testament and all of a sudden be locked in chains? Can you imagine Paul with the rattling of the chains on his wrist, shaking his fist at God and saying, all I ever want to do is serve you. Everywhere I go, and you want to know where he goes, go to the back of your Bible. There's a red line, a blue line, and a green line. I'll tell you everywhere he went. Everywhere I go, I've planted churches, and I've preached the gospel, and I've loved people. And here you've set me down, Lord. And I remind you of something. You think he would have written all them letters had he had his freedom? Two-thirds of the New Testament exists because God locked him up. R remember that your darkest imprisonment can be used for the growth of the kingdom. You may be walking through something right now with your family, with your health, with a situation you don't understand. I recognize our nation is more divided than it's ever been. Could it be that God's got a plan in all this? To, to see the church say, you can't put your faith in a political party, one or the other. If your faith and faith alone is in a vaccine, just watch the debacle of it being disseminated to the population. If you put your faith in a nation, nations rise and nations fall. But if you put your faith in the Lord, you can say what Paul said to the Philippian believers. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So the next time you're tempted to say, well, my rights, well, well our economy, well, what they're doing in Washington or, 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 or my health. Before you finish that thought, before you go through and play out how this is going to affect your child's life or your home life or your employment life, stop and say, Lord, how can you use me in this situation to show other people my faith is in something greater than my current struggle. And when women of God, when men of God believe that God is using their lives to make the gospel known, they act different on a job site. Got to clean their language up. They act different on a Friday night. They make decisions differently in their dating relationships. They treat their wives and their husbands differently. Nobody arrives. Nobody's perfect. But when a man wakes up and says, today I exist for the glory of God, that his kingdom may be known through my life, and I have a Savior who did not have to be elected, and he'll never be impeached. And because of that, I will trust in him and I will leverage my life at the lumber yard, at the plumbing supply company, during seventh period social studies, at the Dollar General, wherever I may be, I'm going to leverage my life for the glory of God. Then that person is living out verse 2. What does verse 2 say? It says, that your way may be known on earth. Your saving power among all nations. And then he breaks into that first chorus. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. And then thirdly, we see the perspective of a refocused life. Look at verse 4. Let the nations be glad. When's the last time you read that headline? We're always reading about which nation we're for and which nation we're against and how this nation is headed to hell in a handbasket. I don't know about you, but no matter who's in power, the group that's not in power believes the nation is in trouble. I've heard that all my life. Have you not heard that? Every presidential election I've ever been a part of, which have not been very many compared to some of you, but every presidential election I've ever heard, they've always said, this is an election for the soul of a nation. This is the most important moment in our hour. Don't forget that our great-grandparents remember 
when Pearl Harbor was destroyed. Don't forget that their grandparents remember things called chemical warfare in World War I. Don't forget the Cold War. Don't forget the conflict in the jungles of Vietnam. Don't forget things like HIV, AIDS. We're not the first generation to face climate issues. We're not the first generation to face political issues. We're not the first generation to face racial issues. We're not the first generation to face medical issues. We're not. And it does not belittle the struggle we are in, but it breaks my heart to see the people of God become so overwhelmed with the headlines that we operate in fear. And the psalmist says, let the nations be glad. Why is our desire for the nations to be glad? Because we know the only source for gladness is in the Lord. And so the desire of a Christian is not to pick out a power that we oppose and hate it. It's a desire to say, how do we get missionaries to them? How do we communicate the gospel to them? Yes, I hate abortion on Sanctity Life Sunday. I hate it every day of the year. Yes, I believe it is the murder of an innocent child. But I know the mother in crisis and the father who fathered to the child don't need to be executed. They need to be saved. They need to be born again. They need to know Christ. And if they do know Christ, they need to be reminded that the God of heaven can take care of them if they choose to honor him and bring this child into the world. And this is the great dilemma the church is at. So often we articulate what we are against, but we forget to tell people we are pro-gladness and pro-joy. Look at verse 4. Look what the passage says. Let all the nations be glad and sing for joy. I'm so glad it doesn't say sing for excellence. I'm so glad that it doesn't say sing to be heard. It says sing for joy. And then look what else it says. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. I have a feeling January 20th is going to look different than any other inauguration in our history. I flew to Baltimore Sunday night and when they got ready to board the plane... I had to check a couple of bags, so the price was the same to either pay for the check bags or pay for the first class seat, which came with the check bags. Well, I ain't no dummy. If it's the same money, I'm going to take the first class and get that little bubbly water and those cookies. They said, first class passengers and active military, please board. I stood up and everybody in the terminal stood up. I was on a plane filled with National Guardsmen and women who were being mobilized to Washington, D.C., where there are walls and razor wire and fences. And in the midst of all that, it can be very disheartening and discouraging. I find verse 4 to be very much encouraged. My God is in control of all nations. He guides all nations. Even when they don't realize it, he orchestrates all things. You know what that does? That eliminates fear. Yes, I have concerns. Yes, it matters to me that I do the best I can as an individual member of our society to vote and to cast my vote for policies and people I believe in, and to pray for our leaders. But when I'm tempted to whine or complain or be disheveled, to feel disenfranchised, to be discouraged, I'm reminded, my God's got it. And you know, he cares more about your waitress at lunch and your impact on him than he does your opinion of Washington. He cares more about how you treat the person that cuts your grass 
than he does your opinion of who is or who will be president. He cares more about how you lovingly walk your children through difficult times than he does your futuristic predictions of the economy. And when we begin to recognize that he's got all that, it's above my pay grade, I trust him and honor him, then my perspective changes. While the world's scurrying around with fear, all of a sudden, I feel the confidence of the Lord. And guess what happens? People ask about that. Why are you so calm? How do you have that much joy? You know something I don't know. Which conspiracy theorist are you reading? I can say, oh, I don't need any of that. In fact, I know the one who's in charge. And I read the end of the book. We win. We win. And what we want is for as many people who will believe to be glad and sing for joy. Did you know that ultimately that's the church's purpose? You say the church's purpose is missions. And Dr. John Piper pointed out years ago that it's actually worship. Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is missions. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. You see, you, you know what's not going to be in heaven? Missions. There ain't going to be no lost people. They'll all be in hell. But you know what will be in heaven forever and ever and ever? Worship. So the passion of the church is to help as many people possible become worshipers. Not targets. Not people we pick on. Not people we hate. But people who come to know Jesus. Which leads to the final lesson. The promise of a refocused life. Look at verse 6. The earth has. Now, some of you have been doing grammar and virtual learning. Maybe we need a little reminder. Has is past tense. Okay? Will is future. The earth has yielded its increase. Now, for those of you that love Bible study, this was no doubt a psalm that was saying uh, during the time when they would feast at the end of the harvest. A lot of people think that this was uh, related to the Feast of Pentecost or the Feast of Tabernacles, where the people would gather together and one of the blessings that they would celebrate would be last year's crop because last year's crop fills today's stomach. And so the psalmist is saying, hey, listen, I started in verse one saying, God, I need you to bless me. But in verse 6, I want to recognize you've already blessed me. The fields have yielded, the scripture says. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, now watch, shall bless us. Now that's future. So in one verse, he says, he has blessed me and he will bless me. How are you going to be has and will? I'll tell you how. If God never changes and he's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and he has blessed you, guess what he will do? Bless you. Ask a senior adult if this is the first time our country has been politically divided. Ask them what it was like in Selma during the civil rights era. Ask them what it was like when people had deep-seated emotional and political disagreements over things like Vietnam. Ask someone who lived in the 70s and 80s as an adult all the questions around three words, three letters, HIV, AIDS. This is not the first time, nor will be the last time that we have faced difficulty. But the good news is this. If God has always been faithful and he promises to never change, then he will always be faithful. So in the midst of my darkest storm, you may have had the most difficult week of your life. I want to ask you a question. Has God not already been faithful? And if God has already been faithful, then he will always be faithful. 
faithful. And this promise then undergirds our life. And by the way, theologically speaking, and I'm almost done, theologically speaking, after he saves me, he doesn't owe me anything. If I contract a virus that takes my life, I get to go be with Jesus. My friend Chris played that guitar with every bit of passion he could muster up this morning because his mother and father who succumbed to COVID in 12 days are with the Lord right now being glad and singing for joy. And so we have to take a step back and remind ourselves that the praise of a refocused life is built on the promise of the faithfulness of God. So I want to ask you this question. What's the tone of your life? How much whining and moaning are you doing? How much witnessing? Got anybody in your life that needs grace? Are you promising in the faithfulness of God? Know anybody that completely and totally disagrees with every value you hold? Before you choose to hate them, remember they're just lost. Don't ever get surprised, church, when lost people act lost. What ought to break our hearts is when saved people act lost. What's the tone of your life? Do you have the praise of a woman who's refocused? Do you have the worship of a man who's refocused? Dwell on those things and let God's word minister to you this week from Psalm 67. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word for the opportunity today to break the bread with a precious group of people who've loved my family so well. Lord, for the heartbroken person in this room or online, for the person who feels isolated and lonely, for the one who is tempted to minimize the screen right now but is hanging on, setting in their smart TV, looking at a smart TV, watching on their device for the senior adult who's genuinely fearful for the person who gets so angry at seeing so much senseless decision making in our nation's capital and what for the person who's struggling today with something they thought they'd never encounter would you remind them that when our lives are refocused on you we can weep and praise at the same time. We can hurt and rejoice because our God is greater. He's greater than our sin. He's greater than our struggles. He's greater than any politician or political movement. He's greater than any disease or virus. I'm grateful for science, Lord. I'm thankful for the discoveries we have. But the greatest virus in my life was called sin and I got a blood transfusion when I got saved the blood of Jesus washed it away someone needs to be reminded this morning that the blood of Christ still flows and can still forgive another needs to be reminded this morning that their confidence should not be in leadership or failed leadership of this world but in a God who guides and judges with equity. So Lord, as we enter this time of invitation, I pray that perhaps someone would come and pray, deal with one of the pastors here, or even those online who want prayer would email and reach out and 
that ministry would happen. Lord, I pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.